Jeremiah 2.13 My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns that cannot hold water. And as we look at what Jeremiah is trying to warn the nation of Israel of, we need to kind of look at what that is. Cisterns is maybe not that common anymore. But back in rural Iowa, they were quite common. Uh, and a cistern is simply a large device designed to collect water, usually rainwater. It's usually underground. And obviously, if it's cracked, it's not much good. Because whatever water comes in, it'd be like me trying to pour water into this type of container. Whatever I pour in is just going to pour out. But the Lord is talking about two different sins. The first is forsaking him as the spring of living water. And the second then is trying to provide for their own nourishment. But the way they do that doesn't even make sense because what they're trying to do won't even hold water. Nicky Gumball in a devotional that he wrote back on January 22nd asks a couple questions. You find yourself doubting whether God's way is really the best. Or do you find yourself wondering that even though God says something is wrong, is it worth trying anyway? I've had both of those questions come to my mind. Maybe you haven't. And part of that is because we listen to these narratives, as Robert mentioned in his message last week, where we listen to all sorts of stories. And those stories do shape who we are. And so when we're listening to the false narratives that God's not enough, or that God can't take care of my pain or my needs, then we're going to listen to some other narrative to try and take care of that situation. And that's not a new thing. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And in that, there's various narratives that were not true. And mankind certainly bought into the false narratives. And the very first question in the Bible is posed by a serpent, Satan, posing as a serpent. And he poses this question to Eve, and he says, Did God really say you must not eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve recognized that as a lie right away, because her response was, No, he didn't say that. We can eat from every tree except one. And the amazing thing is, unless we're honest and look at ourselves, is Eve and Adam both bought into the lie, even though they recognized that it was a lie. Because then the serpent says, oh yeah, that, that may be true. I'm paraphrasing now. You won't find that in the Bible. But what about that tree that you're not supposed to eat of? Why? What's God holding out on you? You know, you, should, you can take charge of your own destiny. You know what's best for you. You can, starting to listen to those false narratives, Eve disobeyed, and Adam disobeyed, and they even started the blame game later on. Because then the first question recorded from God in the Bible is he didn't abandon Adam and Eve, even though they started listening to the false narrative. He goes looking for them. Right away his question was, where are you? So it's amazing, even today we have those issues. A Bible teacher by the name of Alistair Begg describes an idol this way. He says, anything other than God that we regard as essential to our peace, our self-image, our contentment, or our acceptability. It's an idol. And Tim Gustafson, writing for Daily Bread, expands on that a little bit, saying, even things that are good 
can become idols. When we seek comfort or self-worth from anything other than the living God, we're committing idolatry. What we're really doing is we're trying to dig a cistern, a crack cistern to pour into what we think is going to take care of our pain, what's going to take care of the inevitable suffering that's part of living, part of the human condition. Henry Blackaby, in talking about the verse that we just shared, says this. God said that he would be like an artesian well in the life of the believer. Artesian wells bubble up from a cold, fresh, never-ending supply of water from the depths of the earth, quenching thirst, always satisfying. And this is the picture of the spiritual refreshment that belongs to the person in whom the Holy Spirit resides. But then he goes on to ask this question. But have you exchanged the living fountain for man-made cisterns that cannot hold water? Why would you exchange an artesian well for a broken water tank? Artesian wells do not dry up. Broken cisterns do. And how do we go about doing that? And what is the problem when we do that? Well, recently I got a letter from Missionary Aviation Fellowship. And it was a letter from a pilot, Ryan Kober, who's been imprisoned in Mozambique, a country in Africa. And he wrote a letter at the request of MAF to let people know how he's doing. And I think by reading a portion of his letter, it gives us a glimpse into why it's important to not forsake God, not to forsake the spring of living water, because those broken cisterns, when we're really in a situation that seems to be desperate, are certainly not going to be enough. This is what he writes. On the battlefield of the mind... I've been wrestling with fear lately. My adversary sends terrifying thoughts. So in my flesh, I want to be in constant fear. But the spirit which is alive and well within me trusts in the goodness of God and all his promises. So the spirit and the flesh are always at war, forcing me again and again to the feet of Jesus, where I find my strength. So that the outlooking of my faith is confidence of mind. I find great encouragement in reading Philippians and the book of John. In Philippians, I found that whatever path God has me take, he has a work for me to complete. And I need not fear because of suffering, because I'm united with Christ. In the book of John, he exhorts to follow Jesus wherever he may go. And where he is, there his servant is also. These times are very, these things are very comforting me because I know he'll be with me. And he has a purpose in it all. Pray that God would give me faith, strength, and courage to rest in his will. Pray that he would help me conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that I will not be frightened by those who oppose me. As I wrestle with these things, I'm reminded that his grace is sufficient for me, for his power is made perfect in weakness. He goes on to close the letter with a greeting to his wife and his family. But it's obvious that you couldn't respond that way when you're wrongfully imprisoned and you don't have any idea what your fate is going to be unless you're looking to the spring of living water that's only available through God. And Jesus himself in John 4, chapter 14, talks about this when he greets the Samaritan woman at the well. 
He tells her, But those who drink the waters I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. In a journal that I wrote talking about this verse some time ago, I wrote this. The living water that quenches thirst forever is a symbol of our spiritual yearnings. Each of us are born with a void that can only be filled by Christ, the living water. However, each of us try to fill that void by our own efforts. We may try to fill it by achievement, by wealth, by security, by pleasure, but they all require frequent refills. The void is only filled by our intimacy with Christ. And intimacy only comes with an investment of time. So again, we need to stop making that air that God pointed out of trying to dig our systems our own way, listening to the false narrative of the world. In a book written by Dr. Larry Crabb called Inside Out, he talks about moving past digging our own cisterns this way. But when the relief of the inevitable pain of living in a fallen world becomes our priority, then we're leaving the path of pursuing God. And that's when we begin digging our own cisterns and trying to fill them with water, but we just fill them with false narratives from the world. In a movie that I recently watched uh, called Moonrise, and I'll try not to spoil the plot for you, but the basic movie is this husband has lost his wife through a tragic accident where she's killed in a riding accident. The horse is injured, and when it recovers, no one ever rides the horse again for a couple of years. Will Brown, the main character in the story, has gotten to the point where he just sees life has no purpose because his wife is gone, and he's just suffering in the grief. He's there physically for his family. He has a daughter and two children who are also going, for, but he's absent emotionally. He's providing no support for them and dealing with their own grief and trying to get on with life. And so his daughter, through a series of events, arranges for a horse trainer to come because her goal is to be able to ride this horse again because that's sort of her connection with her mother and dealing with her grief with her mother. So she hires this horse trainer. And when the horse trainer arrives, a series of events take place, which, again, I'm not going to take the time to go through. But he starts to see things from a new perspective. And he starts to realize that there is a way forward. And that he has been listening to the false narratives that he can't go on with his life because his life can't be the same. And so he learns that he needs to move forward. And he finally, in one of the scenes in the movie, opens up a Christmas gift because, of course, his wife's death happened right before Christmas a couple years ago. And he hasn't been able to open this gift for these two years. So his daughter assists him in opening this gift, and it's a vassal of some type of creation who only moves forward. And she writes this note about how they've had this great life together. But they, like this creation, must remember we have to continually move forward in life. And so he's able to break out of those false narratives he'd been listening to and move on with his life and dealing with his grief in a more appropriate way. Now the right wife of Annabelle, excuse Annabelle Cobra, who is the wife of Ryan, who's in prison and has been writing devotionals. And so I also want to share briefly from one of her devotionals. And this is a Christmas devotional she shared. And she's talking about risks and fear. 
And this is what she writes. However, you don't really know how you'll handle the risk or the tragedy or suffering until you're faced with that undesirable situation. And then she recounts, not the incident of her husband's imprisonment, but some other dangers they've gone through. And then she goes on to explain how she has a peace that can only come from one place, the Holy Spirit. In other words, the spring of living water. And that peace is because of who he is. He's God. He is the spring of living water. And she goes on to write, In this time of Advent, I'm reminded that Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. And as Jesus ascended into heaven, he promised, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this promise is fulfilled through the Holy Spirit, who resides within us as Christians. And then she goes on to ask some questions. What are you frightened of? And when you're afraid, what does the Holy Spirit bring to your mind? What promises of God does he bring to mind? And that's what I want to close with. It's a song by the Maverick City Music where they talk about those promises. In fact, the name of the song is Promises. And the refrain goes, Faithful through the ages, God of Abraham, you are the God of covenant and of faithful promises time and time again. You've proven just what you've said. In other words, he is the living water. And the refrain goes on, Through the storms that may come and the winds that may blow, I'll remain steadfast. Even though we're tempted, that's not part of the song, but even though we're tempted, to dig our own cisterns, to fill them with our own water that we think we can control. We need to remain steadfast. And let my heart learn. When you speak a word, it comes to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me from the rising sun to the setting same. I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. And so the challenge then that Annabelle puts in her devotional is, can you think of someone that needs to know that God has the springs of living water. And can you contact that person? Maybe invite them for coffee so that you can share with that person that the spring of living water is a promise we all have and that we can put aside that temptation to dig our own cisterns and to try to deal with our pain and struggle of living by listening to false narrative of the world you join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are the living water. Forgive us when we forsake you and dig our own cisterns, ones that are cracked and can't hold water, and help us to return to you, the artesian well that never goes dry. In Jesus' name, amen.